Welcome to One Heart, One Mind, a podcast of the Nampa, Idaho South Stake to inspire and give hope in our efforts to build Zion. And now your host, Kim Keller. Hello, I'm Kim Keller, and I'm the host of today's podcast for One Heart, One Mind, Nampa. We are lucky to be joined today by Warren Whittison, a World War II veteran. Warren, we're happy to have you here with us today on our podcast. I'm grateful to be here and appreciate the opportunity to share some things with you. Uh, we're blessed to have you here. T- tell me a little bit about you. Where are you from? What did you do in your life? A little bit about family? I grew up in Rexburg, Idaho, actually out in Hibbard, which is four miles out of Rexburg. And, uh, we had a little farm there, and uh, then... Um, I might mention that I had quite an experience at a time or two. I've always felt that uh, I was fairly close to the spirit, but uh, I had a cousin and an uncle that I enjoyed going with. And one evening when I was out milking the cows, my mother came out and said Warren Leland and Ralph are here and they want you to go with them. And uh, ordinarily I would have jumped at the chance, but I just felt that I shouldn't. And I, I said, well, Mother, tell them that I don't want to go tonight. I want to stay home. And uh, they, when they were coming home from their activities, they came around a bend and a trailer, a load of logs, had a blowout and and it was just sitting there and it was dark and a car came and the lights, uh, uh, they couldn't see it and they just ran into it and the logs came up over the hood and and they were both very seriously hurt. And I always rode in the, the middle, and uh, a log came through the windshield and went right out the back, right where I would have been sitting. And uh, so I was grateful that the spirit kind of, I didn't realize that that's what it was, but I've recognized it since. I... Uh, Went to school, uh, grade school, and uh, out to Hibbard, then high school in Madison High School. And when I graduated from high school, I turned 18, and that was the rule then that you register for the draft. And so I did that, and uh, right away I got notice that I was uh, classified as 1A, and uh, and that wasn't very long after that I received notice that I was supposed to appear for induction into the Army. My mother accused me of telling them I wanted to go and get it done. But anyway, uh, prior to that, when I was 17, I went to the Patriarch 
and got a patriarchal blessing. And it wasn't very long, but very special. And right towards the end, the patriarch uh, said, Father, I offer a prayer in behalf of this young man. Well, thou bless him that when he goes into the service of his country, that he'll not see enemy action on the land or on the sea. And uh, so uh, I told my dad, uh, he served in World War One in the Army, and I just didn't want to have some of the experiences he had, and so I asked him to go with me to the draft board and uh, uh, see if they would uh, uh, delay my induction, and we did, and they was gracious enough to give me a month extra so I went down to Pocatello and enlisted in the Air Corps. And, uh, of course, thinking, boy, I would like to fly one of those fighter pilots, the fighter planes. But anyway, um, I was uh, supposed to uh, have until May before I would have to go. But... Uh, on Thanksgiving Day, uh, one of these registered letters came and said I was supposed to report to Fort Douglas uh, on the first day of December. And so uh, I went into the service, went down to Shepherd Field, Texas, Wichita Falls, and took my basic training and then they informed us that they had all the pilots they wanted, but they needed gunners. And so I was sent to Kingman, Arizona to take my gunnery uh, training. And then uh, from there uh, to Lincoln, Nebraska, where uh, it was kind of a, a depot where they uh, keep you until they uh, have a crew for you assigned. And so we were there about two weeks, and then I was assigned to a crew, and we got on the train and went to uh, uh, Alexander, Louisiana, for our overseas training. Um, I didn't know any of the men that was to be on our crew, but they were all on that train, so we went back and forth looking until we finally got our crew together and um, uh, then to Louisiana. We uh, did some flying uh, until in July. Um, we'd fly out over the uh, bay and had target practice and... Uh, uh, I was in the ball turret, and uh, where's, where's the ball turret was that underneath, underneath the plane. And uh, I say it was the best seat in the house. I could see everything, uh, but uh, I was right close to where the action was too. Some of us don't know a whole bunch about uh, 
the type of weapons that you'd be using, but are these big caliber? Uh, I have two fifty caliber machine guns. Hmm. One of them on each side of me, right here. Wow. And uh, they made a lot of noise. But um, um, the ball turret, actually, um, you didn't get in it until you got up flying. And then you cranked it down so the guns were pointing straight down. And uh, then you opened the little door from up there and uh, slithered down in and with your knees pulled up and and uh, buckled a uh, uh, strap across the back and pulled the door down and locked it and then you'd turn on the power and pull the handles and the, the guns would come up and you could go around and around with that turret but uh, if you had a plane come in say over here and you was tracking it down. You had to turn around, turn it around quick, before you could come up the other side. Wow! And it had some cams on it, so if I was tracking the plane, shooting came to where the propellers were, it stopped. It wouldn't let me fire to shoot off our propellers. So. Oh. <laughs> always wise. That's always a good design there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I took my training in uh, Louisiana for overseas, and then uh, we were given seven days to go home and come back to Kearney, Nebraska, and pick up our new plane. And had uh, we flew from Kearney to Bangor, Maine, where we were outfitted, and and then we uh, uh, took off from there the next day, heading for Iceland. But um, we got up in the Labrador area, and storm came in, and so we landed up there and spent about a week with the Eskimos up there. The weather changed, and then we went on up to Iceland, landed there and stayed overnight, and then flew uh, on into Scotland, actually, and we had some training there. Uh, one of my trainings was to be uh, night guard over the women whack area so that uh, none of the soldiers would come then but it uh, then we from there we were assigned to our bomb group and we assigned the 390th bomb group 390th bomb group now if i remember right were you with that group the whole your whole uh, experience in the war yes. and now i've spoken with you years past you had quite a kinship within that group right yes we did we we've had uh, reunions every year with our bomb group for so many years we tell us how many um, years i think that you're you're not 71 anymore are you warren not quite no <laughs> um 
but we, um, until about five years ago, uh, we uh, had one every year. We'd go to, we even had one in Salt Lake, and um, they had special programs and things. Uh, one of the things that was interesting in Salt Lake, uh, we had two of our people die there while we was at the reunion. But there was one old gentleman that um, uh, well, to, we went to uh, to uh, Hillfield uh, to the museum out there one day. Uh, this was in like October, and we had two busloads people, and we just uh, pulled in there, and it started snowing great big flakes, and it came down heavy, and we sat there, and uh, it was just beautiful, and uh, then we uh, uh, went in and spent our time there. Um, we went out to the Kennecott Copper Mine one day, and then they took us around to Salt Lake and uh, talked about us, uh, Salt Lake and the Mormon Church. and um, We had an appointment to go and watch the Tabernacle Choir uh, rehearse, we thought. And uh, we were supposed to be there at 7, and uh, then through communication, as they we were told that they wouldn't have us come anymore, or come at that to that activity, and uh, then we told them that we had had it for over a year. We had that reservation, and so finally they called back and said, "Yes, you could come, but it would be eight o'clock instead of seven. and so. Uh, uh, we went to the, the tabernacle, and uh, they had us a nice seat, two rows across, right about halfway down, and uh, uh, so we filled those up, and uh, then when the choir came out, it wasn't rehearsal, it was... Uh, a real special program, and they were all dressed in their beautiful outfits and such. And so it started, and um, after they had sang two or three numbers, the announcer said, we have a special group here we'd like to recognize. He said, we have the, uh, the president of the Czech Republic and his cabinet all here and they were sitting back there and they had them stand and people clapped and and then they uh, played the Czech Republic number uh, anthem and one or two other things and then they said now we have some other 
that we would like to recognize that are visiting here. We are, uh, 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 we have the uh, members of the 390th Bomb Group uh, from World War II that are here visiting and had us stand and man, the people just, oh, they whistled and clapped and stood up and, and um, um, that then they played the Battle Hymn of the Republic and the Air Force Hymn and several other things and, and um, so uh, a couple of months after that uh, the uh, group our uh, headquarters 390th got this letter from this lady and she said uh, that her father for the first time was able to attend the reunion with his two sons and uh, said he was so thrilled with what happened there. She said two things that uh, uh, really uh, pleased him was that when we went to Hillfield, we had it snow for him and he hadn't seen that before. And the other thing was when they went the Tabernacle Choir broadcast that the Air Force got a standing ovation and the Czech Republic didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But anyway, it, it was special. But in 87, when I went to uh, the reunion, we went to the reunion in Nashville, we had over 700 from our bomb group there. And then in, uh, uh, see, it was, well, it was about five years ago when we had our last reunion in St. Louis, there were only 22 people from the actually members of the, uh, my group, uh, of course, there was a lot of descendants that come, but but they changed that there. Um, so that's that's a long time. But our our crew was made up with the, we just had such a special um, camaraderie with the, that you have the, the camaraderie is formed by. But just being in the situation that you're in together, right? But this Memphis, Memphis Bell movie, they portrayed there was a lot of bickering and things in the crew, but we never had anything like that. Our pilot and co-pilot were Catholics, and and uh, our uh, tail gunner was uh, uh, Baptist and different things and uh, um, but we were were just real close and uh, we uh, had our individual prayers the pilot and co-pilot she was the out with the rosary before we left and but uh, the guys uh, 
they had such respect for me, and I appreciated it. And, That's great. And um, I loved them. Uh, ask you another question, but before I do, um, whenever you hit your hands that on the table, it ends up going into the microphone. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no problem. Thank you. You bet. Um, so I'm going to ask. Oh, new question. So I've heard about Million Dollar Baby. What is Million Dollar Baby? Well, the each crew usually had a, a name for their plane and had it painted on it. So our plane was the Million Dollar Baby, and we had a picture of Betty Grable painted on it. <laughs> and uh, and Betty Grable, she was. This is for our younger people who don't know who Betty Grable is. Betty Grable was quite an actress yes. way back then and uh, had a very trim shape and and uh, had quite a reputation. Somebody that a bunch of soldiers would want to see painted on the side of their airplane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a little remembrance of America. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so why was that... Um, uh, let me back up. Different different question. So uh, I've heard about your story of the twenty sixth mission. Uh, can you share that with us? We flew uh, twenty four or twenty five missions in our plane. Uh, it was a beautiful silver plane, and uh, uh, when we got over there, I had uh, taken a one of these heavy fleece lined outfits and I cut that up and glued it around in my ball turret so it was kind of cozy in a way and had all the controls the uh, uh, oxygen line and uh, uh, my uh, electricals and all extended so that uh, I could stand up in there and still be all hooked up. But, uh, um, we uh, enjoyed that plane. We had some experiences with it. Uh, um, got a lot of holes in it sometime. There was a time or two we had at least 100 holes in it when we come back, and <laughs> they had to patch them up. But... Uh, uh, Anyway, uh, our 26th mission, we were on the board to fly that mission. And uh, when the orderly came in at 3 o'clock in the morning to wake us, uh, they said, you're not flying. This new crew that just came in is going to fly your plane and in your slot. And, and uh, so they did. And uh, when they got over the target, they had the Bombay doors open and they got a shell explode right in the Bombay and blew the plane up and they were all killed. The plane that you had been on 25 times mm -hmm. on the 26th mission and we would have destroyed. been there if we had. Oh, my goodness. Change that. But um, anyway, and then we got a an old clunker, and and uh, uh, it 
flew pretty good. We flew 10 more missions. How do you think, so let's go back. You talked about your patriarchal blessing when you were 17 before you left. Um, how does that tie into your your experience? Well, I felt that I was really blessed and uh, two or three ways uh, uh, things, for instance, uh, I was woke up one morning and told that I was supposed to fly with another crew because their ball turret gunner was sick. And uh, I had a very strange feeling about that. I I didn't feel good, and I was really scared more than usual. And, and I prayed that things would be all right. And if it wasn't uh, to be that... Uh, the we the mission wouldn't go, and uh, so uh, we got all ready, and they shot up a flare to start our engines, and uh, we taxied out and just ready to take off down the runway, and they shot up the big red flare that the mission had been canceled, and so. We didn't go, and uh, um, I got hit in the back with a pretty good chunk of shrapnel from one of the shells, and it it hit the vault uh, hard enough that it uh, made a, almost a dent right through, and then stopped and and uh, our crew uh, flew uh, well each one of them had a close call but we didn't have anyone that got wounded and uh, on the next to last mission we flew to Berlin where we lost 11 planes. Um, a fighter plane came up behind us and was shooting 20 millimeters in, and they were bursting just out about that far from our site, and yet he didn't hit us. Oh, man. And uh, uh, we just... Uh, had some quite the experiences. We got two engines shot out over Germany and uh, we uh, had to leave the formation and we went down low to so we could uh, get better uh, volume to go. And uh, we had feathered those two engines and uh, we... Uh, Finally opened the, the waste window and threw out our guns and ammunition and everything we could get rid of we did to lighten the plane. And uh, we finally, when we got over the channel, um, 
the pilot said, uh, he called up and said, we're just about out of gas. We've had to use extra to keep those two engines running. And they said, we ditch in the channel and have them pick us up, or should we try to get home? And, uh, of course, we all said, let's get a home. And so we did, and we came in over the White Cliffs of Dover and down, and uh, we didn't do our normal uh, approach. We just come straight in, and uh, we landed, and uh, uh, by the time we got down to the end of the runway, the engines started choking, and we were out of gas. Wow. Hey, um, another question for you. When you, uh, well, those of us who have not been in war situations, uh, we only see it romanticized or or shown really terribly uh, in, in TV and movies and stuff. But there is something that it looks like when you're working together, though, as this team and this crew that you, you forge uh, bonds, you forge relationships, but I would think there's also a forging of the spirit of each individual that can come from that. What experiences from your uh, time in World War II shaped you for the rest of your, your life? I felt that some of the experiences I've had uh, strengthened my testimony quite a <clears throat> bit to feel that uh, I really had the Holy Ghost uh, close by, that the Lord was watching over me, blessing me. And your and, life, I know, has blessed the lives of <clears throat> many others as you served for many years as a patriarch. Even in this stake, you were a patriarch. In a couple of different stakes, were you not? Even when I went over to Europe, I, uh, and uh, we were serving in Madrid, Spain, and uh, they, uh, our mission was supposed to be 18 months. And then they said, you know, we could sure use you. And we were glad they asked us because we had to come home. So we stayed another six months. And then I got a letter from Elder Packer telling me that they had reinstated me as a patriarch to give the Nigerians their patriarchal blessing. Oh, wow. We had a Nigerian branch and they uh, spoke English and uh, pretty good and didn't want their blessing in Spain as Spanish. So uh, that was wonderful. We um, went uh, in the morning on Sundays and met with the Spanish ward and Sister Whittison played the piano for the Relief Society in the primary and and then we'd go home and get a sandwich and come back and meet with the Nigerians in the afternoon. And uh, great experience. Wonderful people. Uh, 
such strong testimonies. And so, tell us, Warren, as we wrap up here, tell us um, when you have had these experiences in your life through being in war, serving in, in a church calling as a patriarch for many years. What advice do you have for those who are dealing with hard times or who are needing some hope? Uh, You've got wisdom. You're the one that we want to come to now. Share with us some thoughts and some wisdom on people who are needing a little bit of hope, having a lifetime of experience that you've had. I feel that young people should uh, be... uh, choosing their associates um, so that they have good companions that can strengthen them and yet uh, not forget or or not uh, watch for the opportunities that can come for them to reach out and uh, uh, touch those that are not members of our church. Um, when I was um, in basic training down at Shepherd Field, we were out on bivouac and we were living in a tent and it was raining and mud and such. And and I, I got acquainted with the young man and he came in to our tent and was talking to me and uh, a question came up about uh, religion and I had uh, a copy of the Anson or Improvement Era, whatever it was then, and uh, it had been sent to me and I said, uh, well, if you're interested, there's sure some good articles in this magazine to read. And boy, he jumped on it and took it. And uh, I think I was influenced uh, to some of the members of our crew. I know that uh, one, our tail gunner from Texas had uh, smoked for ever since he said he was in the eighth grade in school and he quit. Uh, And uh, our uh, navigator from New York, um, he uh, really uh, seemed to feel close uh, to me and uh, he... uh, and his family came out to visit after we'd been home from the service for a little bit. He had small children, and uh, his wife was supposed to go to uh, a special school in Rock Springs. Uh, she was the home ec teacher, and they were having some special things there. So uh, they came to visit. We didn't have much room in the little house we lived in, but my folks did. And so they went out and stayed with my folks and and knelt and have prayer with them and such. And then they said, uh, well, 
we need to go, but we want to go to Salt Lake and hear the Tabernacle Choir, which they did. And uh, when we had our first reunion back in St. Louis, just the crew, uh, they came and uh, the Saturday uh, evening, we were downstairs, such uh, Wittes and I, and uh, they came in, uh, Howard and his wife, and and uh, he said, what's up? And I said, well, we're just trying to find a place to go to church tomorrow. And he said, well, let us go with you. We want to go with you. So they, they did. But uh, one thing that started right then uh, in that reunion, when we met Saturday morning, for the first time, we were there to have breakfast together, and uh, Howard was kind of in charge, and he said, before we eat, let's have Warren offer a word of prayer, a blessing on the food. And uh, from there on, every reunion we had as a crew, Warren what do you offer prayer for us? Right. And uh, I was grateful for that. But I think as, as young people, I look back and I probably missed some special opportunities that I could have had uh, some uh, success in talking to people uh, about the church and... Uh, I wish that I'd done more, but the uh, example and influence helps to create uh, that relationship. Well, thank you. We appreciate your time, Warren. What amazing life experiences you have had in your 71. Is it 71? How old are you again, Warren? 95. 95 years. We are blessed, so blessed to have you here and to be able to share your stories. Not many left to share those stories with us, are there? No. Um, about the um, eighth or ninth mission we flew, uh, the Germans had the Polish people surrounded, cut off from anything, and, and they were destitute for medical supplies and other things. And, and uh, they called for help. And the British said, well, we can't, we can't help them. And, and the Russians were sitting over there on the border and they weren't going to help them. And so our crew, our bomb group, got the orders to take these supplies. And so we loaded up all our bombers with uh, these tubes of various supplies and uh, in our bomb bays and uh, we flew over and uh, to uh, Warsaw, Poland and we were supposed to go in at 18,000 feet uh, so the tanks, German tanks couldn't hit us but when we got there there was a really a big cloud front, and you can't fly through 
the clouds in formation or you'd uh, lose some planes. And so we tried to go over it and we couldn't get up above it. So we went under and we were just 16,000 feet. And we dropped our supplies, but the Germans shot two of our planes down with their tanks. Then we went on over to Russia and landed down below Moscow, and there was uh, just uh, one of those steel uh, runways mats. And uh, uh, so we landed on that, and when we'd slow down, we'd just go out and park in the sagebrush. And, and uh, we stayed there overnight. We slept in our planes, and... and uh, there was some Russian ladies that, out there that had uh, some big pots of stew on a fire that they built and they fed us. The next day we got a, a load of Russian bombs and went from there down to Budapest, Hungary and bombed the railroad yards there. And then we went on down to Foggy, Italy and stayed there for five days and and then we flew back up over France, back to England. When you got an airplane, you didn't go anywhere. Yeah, and <laughs> uh, I might tell you that while we was coming back, the pilot called me up to a, the cockpit, and I got up there, and he climbed out of his seat, and he said, here, take over. And uh, uh, I'd never flown a plane before, and, I get to hold, and I was rocking back forth, but I can truly say that I flew a B-17 over Paris. Awesome. That's great. So, Well, we're so, so grateful for your life and your experiences and the example that you've been for so many people. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast, Warren. Thank you for listening to One Heart, One Mind. We hope that you have felt inspiration and hope in moving towards Zion. As always, thank you. And may the Lord bless you. Thank you so much for listening to One Heart, One Mind, Nampa. Our hosts are the amazing overseer Kim Keller and lovely Lindy Bauer. President Keller's right arm is our project director and podcast announcer Casey Maddox. Our front line is the ever-ready Rachel Bauer to direct the site recording. A big thanks to Michelle Lundgren, who is the backbone project manager who keeps us all together. Our contact man to coordinate communications is John Freeman. Our technical life is given by Jesus Gomez, the key grip and podcast editor, and Don Ricker, the digital platform manager. Not to mention, they both provided plenty of behind-the-scenes good humor for our happiness.